Universe. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 28. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica. I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Jonas Ockerland, filmmaker, music video director, photographer, and OG black metaler. Jonas directed the cinematic music videos for the Garage Inc. singles Turn the Page and Whiskey in the Jar, as well as the hardwired to self-destruct track Man Unkind, which was made on the set of his brand new film, Lords of Chaos. The movie tells the story of Norwegian black metal legends Mayhem. The music, the corpse paint, the church burnings, the murders, the whole subculture that continues to captivate the imagination and influence generations of musicians and fans. Jonas won a Grammy and several MTV VMAs for Madonna's Ray of Light, but he's full of metal cred himself. The Swedish-born filmmaker was briefly the drummer in Bathory. His first music video was a now classic clip for one of my favorite bands and favorite songs of all time, Bewitched by Candlemass from 1987's Nightfall. Jonas Ockerland went on to make videos with Roxette and Moby before his big breakthrough with the controversial clip for Smack My Bitch Up from The Prodigy. His videography includes work with Taylor Swift, Coldplay, Iggy Pop, Smashing Pumpkins, Pink, James Blunt, Maroon 5, Blink-182, Kesha, Ozzy Osbourne, Robbie Williams, Rihanna, Frank Ocean, Queens of the Stone Age, and so many more. He directed the Christina Aguilera video for Beautiful, and several videos with Madonna, U2, Rammstein, Lady Gaga, and Beyonce, all of whom have returned to him again and again. When he directed Hold It Against Me for Britney Spears, it gave me an excuse to work Candlemass and Bathory into a story for MTV News. Speaking of MTV News, I actually covered the red carpet for Jonas's feature-length debut, Spun, the 2002 dark dramedy starring Mickey Rourke, Mina Savari, Jason Schwartzman, and the late Brittany Murphy, with a cameo from Rob Halford. In addition to award-winning documentary concert and long-form video films for Beyonce and Jay-Z, Paul McCartney, Taylor Swift, Rammstein, and Madonna, Jonas has directed the graphic novel-based hitman drama Polar, which recently debuted on Netflix, and Lords of Chaos, which was released in theaters this week. I spoke to Jonas just before the holidays late last year. So here it is, my conversation with filmmaker and music video director Jonas Ockerland. This is Speak and Destroy. <laughs> Starting with Iron Maiden and Samson and Diamond Head and Angel Witch, like all those bands that was, you know, uh, New Wave or British Heavy Metal. And I, I was, I spent like four or five weeks, di uh, nights a week at the Marquee Club. So I saw it all happening right there uh, when I lived in London in the 80s. Yeah, and not to jump way far ahead, but uh, it's interesting you mentioned Thin Lizzy being one of those pivotal bands that, of course, you know, years later you're directing the Whiskey in the Jar video. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, uh, and you yeah. mentioned you mentioned by the way before it slips my mind. Uh, you know, being about the same age as the In Flames guys, I think you guys are a, a few years older than me. But I noticed in uh, doing my homework on you that our birthdays are three days apart. I'm, uh, oh, really? I'm November seventh. So oh, okay, yeah, November tenth. Yeah, Scorpios. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah, Scorpions. By the way, came to Sweden all the time as well, <laughs> and of, and of course, status quo was like regular like every year 
Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how many people in America that actually knows about status quo, but no, I remember they were they they were a huge fan back then. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because you know obviously our conversation is going to touch on black metal and some other things, and I, I recently interviewed Ishan from Emperor, and we spent ten minutes talking about the band Aha. <laughs> which are, <laughs> which are like considered one hit wonders in America, but I just happened to be like one of their super fans as a kid, and uh, and he's a big fan of the band, and we somehow ended up talking about that for a while. <laughs> we 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 actually had uh, I had a, a take on me in uh, in Lords of Chaos, but we couldn't afford to, so I had to take it out. We couldn't <laughs> afford it. They asked for for a lot of money for. For a for a five second joke in the film with that in the background. Oh, that's too you know, bad. It's like, it's like you know, in in Norway everybody listens to Aha, and in Sweden everybody listens to Abba. It's like that's, right. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's funny how both bands ended up having a reach into extreme metal with some of its main <laughs> yeah, architects. Exactly. Yeah. So. I want to get into, uh, and I really want to get into Lords of Chaos, obviously, but I have to ask you about your first foray into music videos and obviously coming from, you know, I, I saw a quote that uh, you, uh, when you were speaking to Rolling Stone, I believe at Sundance, shortly after the premiere of Lords of Chaos, you were talking about how you kind of got out of the music thing while it was still fun and before, you know, black metal obviously became as grim and serious as it got for a few years. Um what, tell me a little bit about that transition from musician to director and how uh, that classic, classic video, from one of my favorite albums of all time and one of my favorite songs, how that Bewitched video came mm. to be. Well, I mean, I I, I, uh, I was struggling in a, with music like everybody else, and I thought for, for quite a while that that's what I was going to do. Uh, I, I was always drawn to more you know, coming up with the band names and doing logos and like thinking a lot about the visual part of of what we were doing. So I was already from the beginning like drawn to to that. And then I got a job in a in a production company as basically as a runner, and uh, I discovered film editing. And I remember it like it it just became it was like a blessing to me. It was like it was like uh, everything just became. Uh, felt like the most natural thing in the world when I saw images put together with music and sound effects. And uh, from that point, I realized that I was a much better editor than I ever was a drummer. And there was no looking back. It was just like, that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I, so film editing became really my thing. And, and uh, I kept, uh, I, I was editing around the clock for, for years. And I, uh, for other directors and then eventually I started to I started to dislike the footage that the directors was, were giving me I, I didn't feel like I could do like a perfect edit so I started to go out and shoot myself uh, it, it took me actually a couple of years before I realized that that was uh, what a director do mm. so it, t- it took me a while before I even even could call myself a director and in that era I was still kind of playing a little bit but i was still hanging with like the bands and then lay from Candlemas basically just asked me it's like yeah hey you have a camera don't you can you shoot mm-hmm. something and it's like and this is like pre-mtv we didn't have mtv in in europe back then so to be honest 
uh, I remember a lot of things from that video, but the one thing I don't remember is why we made that video. I have no idea why we made it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> kind, the, that's kind of awesome, actually, that that's the thing you don't remember. <laughs> yeah, and what what were we going to use it for? It's like, there was yeah. like, obviously, now it's amazing that it has a, a life still and that we're talking about it 30 years later. It's It's great, but back then, I have no idea why we did it, you know, other than... Uh, it was fun making it, and uh, and of course I was a huge fan of of Candlemas. I was actually driving their bus for a little bit when they were touring with um, oh, wow. King Diamond. Oh with wow! King Diamond. When Mickey D was in, with King Diamond, we yeah. were uh, uh, Candlemas was opening for uh, for for King, and uh, and I was around like uh, I think I was the only one with a driver's license or something like that. <laughs> so it, you know, it was easy to get a job back then. Uh, yeah yeah so and uh, so that's how it came about and uh like again it's amazing that it's still around you know and it's like it's everything that that video should be you know it's like a messiah is in it and dad is in it as an extra and and you know yam has this uh stupid hat and uh you know the guitarist (laughs) has like the broken arm it's like and then, and then half the video is snow, and the, the next snow, half is yeah. no snow. It's like it's every, it's like an Ed Wood masterpiece. <laughs> it is, and it, it captures the uh, the charm, and I think the 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 actual spirit of what it's like to be a metal kid and hang out with other metal guys that people from the outside don't necessarily understand, and that you yeah. wouldn't pick up from just listening to that song. Whereas seeing seeing it laid out, it's like okay, I get this. It's like it's not parody or satire but it is fun even though it's doom and gloom you know yeah of course of course yeah it's Uh, it's interesting uh, metal always had that sense of humor i guess the the norwegian black metal scene did not have that for a while but you know (laughs) to me metal was always like very sexy and fun you know yeah totally i think that's something people don't understand even today about uh, you know being in a arena full of people uh, with Metallica, you know, singing along to Fight Fire with Fire or something. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I realize this song's about Armageddon, but we're having yeah. fun. It's just, yeah. We're celebrating. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it's not really any different than people that are really into sports, and it's like, okay, these people are breaking their limbs and getting concussions out there, but and, but you're having fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned uh, driving the bus by mere fact of being the the only one with a driver's license, and it's sort of like, you know, making the music video by nature of being the guy with the camera. Um, I think a lot of important art and early sort of building blocks and, and into, uh, you know, bodies of work that become so important, like your own, I think there's so much to be said for that sort of accidental inspiration and those those time, place, and circumstances where it's like right place, right time, right tools, yeah. and then the inspiration happens. I, th- I think that's something that people miss a lot in this kind of careerist-driven, uh, fame-obsessed art world that, you know, when people decide, I want to be a film director, I want to be in a band or whatever, that, you know, part of what was so exciting about metal, especially in those days, like you said, you weren't making that video with any expectations of anything other than just you wanted to make it because it was cool <laughs> and then yeah, everything else yeah. that happened happened yeah and I, I mean obviously to me um, everything has been timing it's it was just like incredible to just look back at it now and see how it actually happened and sweden being so late with uh, commercial tv 
And once we got commercial TV, uh, it just exploded. There was a huge need for creativity, and I was around. And we, it was very playful, and it was very fun. And, and I think I kept that for quite some time. Even when I started to work in America, when I, when I came here, my first American job was Madonna's Ray of Light. <laughs> and I had the kind of like the same attitude. Okay, I'm the guy. I'm here now. Let's just have fun with it. And I'm going to get the fuck out of here and never come back again. Like, you know, it's, it was really like a playful attitude to to that whole era. And every, all the creativity was just like very spontaneous. And But at the same time, kind of smart. Looking back at it, it was like a lot of smart moves that we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if that was just pure luck or timing. But, uh, yeah, no, it was an amazing time. I think a lot of that spirit that you're speaking about is evident in the the uh, the footage, you know, in the end result. Like, you can kind of, you can feel that because, you know, one of the things most associated with your work is kind of this kinetic energy and this vibe that kind of transcends. Uh, and I, I think that that's probably owes a lot to that attitude that you just described. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah, inter- right. it's interesting, too, because earlier you, you talked about uh, how you sort of fell in love with editing and how that led into directing. And I'm remembering that when Spun was out, all of my film nerd friends were talking about how many cuts there were. Like, that was, you know, <laughs> it, what, what, the, the conversation didn't start with, like, let me tell you about this cool character. Or what You know, it was always like, dude, there's so many cuts in this movie. It's amazing. It's yeah. Like, it's like being high or what, you know. <laughs> and, you know, to to have that sort of impact i think um from a creative sense is really cool it's, it's hard to cut through it's so much noise out there yeah no and i mean back then back then uh, that technique or that way of telling stories with editing was kind of new oh yeah like n- now if you look at any film today it's pretty much the same type of edit technique that we had in music videos and in spawn uh I, I i don't know probably the audience today is a little bit more used to like that's the that's the sign of an old film. It's very slow. Everything is so slow. Mm-hmm. We're used to a, a way faster tempo today. But on Spawn, we I know we made a thing out of it. But I actually had a creative, real take on why to execute the movie the way yeah. I did. And it was supposed to be life in the fast lane because of you. I wanted the audience to feel like they're on meth. Yes, you know? so there was <laughs> there was a reason for it. Yeah, it was it was very immersive in that sense. And that, that's what I remember most about uh, seeing it in theater. Uh, yeah. Was was yeah feeling like you know as someone who's never done methamphetamines feeling like okay this has got to be what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, right. that's very cool. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that because just the other night I watched uh, Horror Hotel from the early '60s, and um, yeah, when you haven't watched an old movie like that in a long time, you are immediately struck by. Um, I, I don't I don't want to say slow is in boring because I, I really love that film, but. Yeah, but yeah, but slow, you know, versus yeah, uh, what we're accustomed to now. It's yeah, a completely different way. Yeah, almost more like a stage play or something. Yeah. Um, so speaking of slow, obviously, Lords of Chaos was a, was a long time in the works. Um, you know, we go back to obviously when the book was first published, and then the articles that led into the book, and then you know the news reports and everything like that way back before then to be now looking at early 2019 when people are going to get to see this movie of yours you know without dragging you through the minutia of, of the whole process what would you say were some of the main you know if you could pinpoint a few main obstacles that were in your in front of you to bringing this uh to the screen and and telling it the way it needs to be told and 
and do, doing. I haven't seen it, but by all accounts, from you know Variety and Rolling Stone and all these reviews I've read, have been uh, about the tone and everything of it. Uh, what were some of the biggest challenges that that were in front of you? I, I think uh, I think for starters, it took me forever just to. Uh, I mean, I had the idea already when I saw the church burnings on the news here in America. I saw it on CNN mm. about the church burnings. Already back then, like 94, 95, I started to think about this as, as not a movie maybe, but something else. Not just like this, this something happened here that is special and this stays, stayed with me. I couldn't get rid of it. And then I was like, through through the years, I was like, I thought I'll 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 try it, and then I'll I'll get going. I'll write it, and then I heard somebody else was on it, and then I took another year doing something else, and then years just passed, and then literally like five or six years ago, I decided to really go for it. I was like, okay, I'm really going to try to make this movie, and I'm going to do it with, I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to do it with my integrity, and it's going to be my perspective with this film. So, and then I finally wrote it. And then these movies just takes time. And like I said, I wanted to do it my way. I didn't want to make it for a big budget, but I had a lot in the script. So I had to be really smart with how to execute the movie. Casting took forever. Everything just took forever because of the dark material. You know, mm. everybody loved it. And everybody's like, oh, wow, the Norwegian black metal scene. We know about that. We heard about that. The characters are great. But it was one of those projects that whoever you pitched it to, everybody loved it, but nobody would put money into it. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, it's yeah. one of those. Everyone wanted to buy a ticket to go see it, but no one wanted to <laughs> put exactly. their neck on the line for it. Yeah, exactly. So it was literally like a five, six year struggle, uphill fight to get this movie made the way I wanted it. And then, of course, when I finally had some financiers and had some partners and all that, my job was also to make sure that they understood what I was doing and, and uh, that I could still do it my way. You know, it's hard to, when you do, when you do movies, anything filmmaking is a lot of people. It's mm -hmm. a lot of people and always somebody to report to. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're the biggest director in the world or the smallest, there's always somebody that you have to report back to. And with this movie, I really try to, I think I fought more than I ever done. Uh, to get it to be my way and to do it my way. Um, you know, there, we had everything from censorship problems to scared producers to money problems. To uh, We had all the problems you can have on this movie. And for me, of course, the big, uh, the big win was, was to finally start to show it to an audience. Uh, and that kind of like, just made ever slowly believe in it more and more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And now we've done like 40, 35 something festivals around the world and we're getting great reviews and I can really feel like the, that people, people who know the scene and people that was even there connect to it and understand why the movie it is, is the way it is. And people that never heard of it also connect to it because it's kind of like a universal story. Yes. Uh, uh, it's it's and we've seen the story before. If you think about it, it's like you know we've seen this movie in Brazil with the kids in the favelas. We've seen it in the suburbs of England. Uh, this is long. Uh, this is England. When, yeah, one of my favorite know, movies ever. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and the list goes on. Like with these kind of movies, so we kind of seen it before. Um, but I think it's I think it's a story that a lot of people could. Uh, 
you know, co- connect to in many ways. So, so now to, and still, we're still waiting for it to come out and we're still waiting to, for that official release date, but at least it's going really well for the movie. And these movies takes time because, and usually, uh, an unreleased movie doesn't get this much attention. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, so you don't really know. It just comes out and there it is. But for us, people have been waiting for it now. I can see on the, on the Lord So Chaos, the movie Instagram, that people were super excited. Now they're pissed off. It's like, where the fuck is the movie? It's just <laughs> come out. Where's the movie? You know, yeah. but, it, but it's, it's in the nature of these movies, these kind of movies. And, uh, it's going to be worth the wait. And I'm, it's timeless too, so it doesn't really matter if it comes out. Yes, yes, and and there's always some sort of parallel, as you mentioned, with this kind of story to current events, and and that'll be true five years from now, just as it was five years ago. Yeah, Yeah. so, but now I'm I'm super excited that the movie's coming out, and I'm very proud of it, and I've I've been uh, lucky enough to see the film now a few times together with an audience, and it's yeah. It's just great to feel that energy in the room. So the more people that go and see it in the movie theater, the better, I think. Yeah, and I was reading even um, about some of the reactions from the cast members when they saw the movie for the first time, and sort of the emotional toll almost that it that it yeah. you know uh, you know you know the, the, the actors were so close to their characters in the film. Um, you know, I, I I'd never seen that before, actually, ever. But they were so attached to their character, um, and uh, when we were done with the film, it's like people had really hard to separate from their wigs and from the leather jackets or the mm-hmm. instruments, and they didn't want to go. You know, it's like Rory Culkin, who's playing Euronymous in the movie, he he stole the leather jacket. He didn't. He refused <laughs> to give it back. He didn't. He didn't want to let go of his character. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously, Euronymous uh, died die in the movie, and he was really taken by it when he saw it. Um, and, yeah, he actually broke down, and he started to cry. And I, I, feel like, I feel like if you're that close to a character, and then you get to see it, and I can identify with, with how you feel um, yeah. when that happens. And, uh, yeah, and, but it was amazing to see all the young actors in this movie, how they were like connecting and doing the research and how uh, a lot of them were in contact with the, the real life person as well. So they got a lot of like insights and pictures and like, yeah, it was great to see that. Yeah. And you had even some uh, communication with Euronymous's parents. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I mean, we've been in communication with pretty much everybody who I felt were important for me and yeah. that I wanted to respect, you know, and uh, <laughs> of course... One, one notable uh, omission there that <laughs> no yeah, one wants to respect. <laughs> well, it's respect, it may not be the right word, but I, I, I didn't feel like I needed Varg. I yeah. didn't feel like I needed his input. Uh, he was clearly negative uh, and against this movie from the beginning. Yeah, I mean he's against and, he's against his own records and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. But he's also yeah. he's also in terms of for me uh, researching these characters, he's been the most outspoken because yes. he's done so many interviews about so it. So many, yeah. He loves to do interviews about it and he loves to talk about it. So I feel like I had enough information Absolutely. from him. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I didn't feel like there was like anything that I was needed to research on him. I mean, honestly, he's the least mysterious character from that story. You know, even for some someone like myself who's followed it, you know, the entire way, 
he's the person I'm least interested in because he's the one that I know the most about. So, you know, yeah. it's like I want to see, you know, I want to learn more about Euronymous, <laughs> you know, yeah. who has, hasn't been here to tell his his tale. Yeah, no, and I, I wish I knew more about him too, obviously, but, uh, uh, you know, being in contact with uh, his parents and uh, Pelle's brother and, yeah. you know, as ma as much as I could was, was I mean, for, for, for several different reasons, but, you know, I wanted them to know that we were making the movie for starters, you know, and and a lot of a lot of these people don't want anything to do with it. But I, I kept saying to Euronymous parents that, you know, if you Google these names now and if you go online or if you watch any of the documentaries, it's a lot of darkness. It's like mm -hmm. a lot of demons, like almost like you said, the castle up in north and yeah. these, yeah. these like mysterious, like demons, evil people. So. The, the the big thing with my movie is that I humanize them and I make them young children. They, yes, because they were they were so young. They were basically children, you know. And uh, so I feel like that's what separates this from all the other things that are accessible now uh, that you can find on the on the subject. Yeah, you know. So yeah, so that's why I think it was worth making this movie too, just to remind. Us that these were young boys, you know. That yeah. Just yeah. That that was I, that that was actually the next thing I was going to mention was that from everything that I've read and all of the the critical consensus and everything, the thing that's really striking me that's making me the most excited about the film is the emphasis that you put on the relationships between these boys and also you know yeah this context of young men and adolescents and all these things that that brings. Because I, I would say one of the, um, you know, obviously the book is riveting and fascinating, um, uh, but I would say one of the main criticisms of it that comes up over time is uh, there's a there's a real sort of heavy-handed context from the authors about, uh, you know, Europe's pagan roots and the, uh, the destruction of, of culture and values by Christendom and all this stuff. And, and certainly there's an argument to be made for what role all of that may or may not have played in this story. But what I, what I like about what I can tell from the film is that the film is about people. It's not a mm. overarching, you know, uh, it's clash of civilizations that the book kind right. of dips into. Is that, yeah, a, is that a fair assessment? Am I reading that right? I think so. I mean, these these kids didn't have an excuse for what they were doing. That that's the big difference. If you watch right. the, the the movie about the young boys in the favelas, you know why they do it, and you they have a reason for it. Or if you're being abused, or if there's drugs involved, or if there's any sort of like like bigger problems. But these kids didn't have anything to. They didn't have an excuse, and and uh, they didn't have a political agenda. I'm a hundred percent sure that. Uh, that uh, that the, the the reasoning for all they did was not political. I, right. I'm a hundred percent sure. Maybe uh, Varg has attached to political beliefs into his life uh, later. And uh, yeah, yeah. They call, they call that in comic books. They call that retconning, re retroactive <laughs> continuity. <laughs> yeah, retconning. Uh, yeah, that's a good word because I, I and also he had a lot of time in jail to figure this out. And, <laughs> you know, and yeah. to think about how he would say it. You know, and. Uh, you know, obviously, he never showed any, uh, any. He didn't show. He have never showed a second of regrets or understanding that no. he did something weird and wrong. But uh, you know, that's his political beliefs, and I'm not going to go into that. But uh, 
I'm pretty sure that Euronymous and these boys, uh, they didn't have. I think what happened was that, you know, they started to think as individuals. They started to think as a group and they started, they lost their minds pretty much. And yeah. they became slowly immune. You know, it was all about impressing the group rather than think for yourself. And it was more like, you know, you start with playing, playing around with symbols, re uh, writing lyrics, uh, and then kind of like slowly the, the, the line between fantasy and reality gets blurred. Yeah. And then, and then before you know it, it's not a big deal to kill a man. You know, it's like that's how, that's what I believe happened. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really profound that the parallels you drew, like, you know, I wasn't even thinking about this is England until you mentioned it. And yeah, very similar where uh, the individual sort of gets sucked up into the collective and then, uh, yeah, things become warped to where uh, you start to accept things that you never would have dreamt of accepting before you were immersed in yeah. that subculture. Yeah. And, and, and which isn't to say that it began in a bad place. It just somehow lands there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, – and you could apply that to uh, – gosh, I don't know, football hooligans and <laughs> all, all yeah. sorts of subcultures. Oh, you know? no, no, yeah, of course, of course. And, I, and like we said before, it's timeless. It's uh, There's new forms and there's new ways of – expressing that today than it was back then and but it's still around you know and uh, yeah no i feel like the movie is more relevant than ever actually and even though it happened a while ago it's still you know such an important story yeah and and, and as i know you've said this already before too but um it hasn't been done properly as a film which was sort of inevitable so it's like thank god someone uh, you know i think you're the perfect person to make it because you have enough of a foot in that world to have credibility and to have the understanding that it needs, but you're also far enough removed and accomplished and respected in so many other ways that it's kind of the, the best of both worlds, you know, because I think someone who's too close to it wouldn't do it justice and somebody who's completely outside of it wouldn't do it justice. So it's like, you know, everything converged for you being the guy that needed yeah, to do this. Thank you. Well, I, th I feel like I had a little bit of a leverage because of my... 10 minutes in bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but uh, I used it. Believe me, I used it. Yeah, <laughs> as you should. But, yeah, no, but uh, and, uh, to be fair, I have huge respect for uh, Necro Butcher and Hellhammer and all those great people that I now call my friends. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's amazing what they do. Of course, I have a lot of music in the film, and uh, these kids were also very creative. Yes. It's amazing uh what they did and you know i think about i told you i have years and years of advertising and commercial background mm -hmm. you know what these kids did it's like you could pay you could pay the biggest advertising agents in the world like a lot of money and they would not accomplish what they did in terms of <laughs> branding yeah in terms of branding and a, tips a record store in a basement you know who would even think of stepping foot in there and now it's it's legendary <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and also reaching the world you know, mm. pre-internet, they yeah. were known all over the world, and their logo is like almost as famous as fucking Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, a cultural export. You know, when Norway yeah. comes up in conversation with like common people, it's uh, it's mentioned. You know, alongside like the beautiful scenery. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, it's uh, in well, museums. And, and I think that's very. And the Nor Norwegian people are very sensitive when you bring this up too. Mm -hmm. it's, they they do take it seriously, and of course, it's a dark. It's a dark place in history, but uh, uh, but they do take it seriously, and they they uh, 
Yeah, and we did, we screened the movie at the Bergen Film Festival. Unfortunately, I couldn't go because I was busy doing something else. But even in Norway, we got a, a couple of really great reviews, which uh, I did not expect, actually. But uh, I think they, I think time has passed and they could watch this movie for what it is. And I think they yeah. really liked it. This does dovetail nicely uh, with the Man Unkind music video uh, and, how, and how that's directly tied to Lords of Chaos. Um, before we get to that, what was your first sort of introduction to Metallica, uh, you know, uh, as in terms of hearing the music and seeing them play and that sort of thing? And, and then how did you become introduced to them on the personal level? Uh, I I was there early on. I met uh, Lars and James before they recorded their first album. Wow. Uh, and they were... I saw them at the Marquee Club in the early 80s, uh, mid-80s, a lot. And I saw them live, uh, both in England at that time. Yeah, I've seen them... I don't know how many times I've seen them live. I'm, I think I've seen them live like 40 or 50 times over wow. the years. Yeah. I've seen them so many times. And... Uh, but I didn't really work with them. They were, I don't know if you remember, but they didn't really like music videos. It took <laughs> oh, a I while. remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it took a while before they kind of like broke into music videos. And, and when it, they finally did it. And when they finally they did, it was like disruptive and <laughs> yeah. know, a bunch of dialogue and violence. and Yeah, yeah, weird stuff. So, But I kind of like, I was doing, when I came here to America with my video Smack My Bitch Up, everybody... Mm -hmm was so interested in talking about it and they everybody asked me who do you want to work with so I kind of like did a little bit of a media flirt with them and I kept saying Metallica Metallica mm. in every interview like and, that, yeah. and I was thinking eventually it's going to get to them that I want to work <laughs> with them <laughs> yeah uh, and then of course they sent me turn the page which was not the Metallica song I was <laughs> expected to get but uh, I loved the song and I just fell in love with it. And, yeah, uh, me too. Uh, yeah, and I had been writing on this short film uh, for a little bit. And then when I got that song, I was like, wow, this really connects to this story that I had in mind. And I think that was first time I did a video that had like a proper story with an actress and like uh, and a full length version that was close to 15 minutes, I think, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. uh, Metallica scored as well. And uh, the music video version of it. So that to me, it was a. Uh, I thought not only was it a great song, and I'm very proud of the video, uh, uh, but it was to me like a big step uh, forward uh, creatively to to have the guts to do something that is so different, especially in the music video time, MTV time when when they reg when they dictated the the length and the form yeah. of the lot. You know, yeah. here we are doing like a short film with an actress and dialogue and voiceovers and like all those things that were not really allowed back then. Yeah. So I was very proud of the video. And to be honest, I, I, I hope that they like it as much as I do. And I know Lars likes it, uh, but you know, it's been, it's been one of my proudest videos ever. And that, that led to whiskey in the Arb, which is very different. That was, uh, just let, let's just do a party video. Mm -hmm. We were all in New York. They were, touring i think and they i only had them for like a day so i was like let's just go to a house do a house party and just party uh, you which know. is amazing because it still looks like one of your videos <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> that has that aesthetic and that uh epic feel to it uh despite the fact that yeah it's actually just a band playing in a house <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. yeah, no, it's great. But then, then I had a few years where I was out of luck. I, they sent me music, I couldn't do it, and I was. We had a few years when we couldn't figure out working together, and I was always a fan, and I always stayed in touch with Lars, and like, um, uh, so I was kind of bummed about that. And then they called me again, right when I was in Hungary shooting uh, Lords of Chaos. They called me and said, "Well, we're going to do a lot of videos on this new album." You can you can pick one and just like do whatever you want. You can do one, you can do two, you can do whatever you want. That's the whole idea with this album. Video directors doing whatever they want. Yeah. And I was like, damn. I was like, I said, I said, uh, I can't. I'm here shooting a movie. So I passed on it and I hang up. And then same afternoon, I went to our rehearsal studio where I had my actors mm -hmm. with instruments rehearsing uh, for the movie. And I was like, oh man. I asked the actors, what if you rehearse one more song? You have 12 to, to, to learn. Why don't you just learn one more since you're at it? <laughs> <laughs> what song? And I was like, well, there's this song. And I gave them uh, Man Unkind, which uh, was one of the songs that I really liked on the album. I thought it was great. So yeah, and, and like, at that time, I don't, the album wasn't out yet. Is that right? It, no, the album was not out yet. Yeah. So, so it was also them, like, here's this Metallica song nobody's heard, boys. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And Jack Kilmer is a big Metallica fan, so he was over the moon. He's the guy that played Dead in the movie. Mm -hmm. So they learned the song, and then uh, I called Lars and said, okay, I, I got something, I'm going to do this. Uh, and then we pretty much just extended our shoot day with a couple of hours, one of the days, and had, the, had them... Because we were shooting a live scene already, mm -hmm. so... Uh, so it's basically like my actors uh, pretending to be Mayhem, uh, playing a classic gig, which is the Jesseheim gig uh, in the, in Oslo, mm -hmm. uh, but they're playing a Metallica song. <laughs> that, so uh, yeah, it was, it was very confusing for the fans, and uh, it uh, and I sent it to Lars and James, and they loved it. They they literally loved it, and. Uh, James, I know that I knew that Kirk was into black metal. I always knew that because mm -hmm. we always talk Bathory when I'm when we meet. And uh, but and James is a big like he's got huge respect for Mayhem and all that stuff. So so they loved it and they they used the video. So and the only bad thing for me was that I had hoped that the timing would have been a little better to oh, like, sure. have it released closer to the release of the movie. Yeah. So it became like a really odd teaser when people were like, <laughs> wait a minute, this is Mayhem. They sound a lot like Metallica. And it's like, there was like all these like weird uh, uh, comments online about it. But, but you know, so what? It's a cool video. I love that song. It's and very cool. And it gave us a taste of those actors literally performing as mayhem and, and I think the authenticity comes across and you can see how much homework went in. And one thing that I really appreciated about it as a fan of obviously both mayhem and Metallica was that you didn't just cut together, you know, you didn't cheat. Like you actually had them learn the Metallica song and, yeah. per, and yeah. you know, versus cutting together some footage that you had of them doing mayhem stuff and making it seem like they were doing the Metallica song. That, yeah, that, that and, keep cool. that, and keep in mind, these were actors that never hold an instrument <laughs> right. in their lives before. <laughs> right. So, you know, and uh, that was the one thing I heard from, uh, uh, I heard from Necrobutcher when he saw the Metallica video. Somebody, the day it was released, somebody texted him and said, you got to look at this video. 
And what he said to me that when he saw that movie, he knew that Lords of Chaos was going to be good because oh, it was nice. so accurate. It was so accurate, and the, the act it looked exactly like it did back then, and it it didn't look fake or and it, so to me that was a huge thing when he said that to me. Yeah, that's like all you need, right there. Yeah, <laughs> there it <exactly>. is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Amazing. Um, you're one of the few people in the world, other than I suppose Bradley Cooper, to be in the unique position of having uh, worked with and knowing uh, both Metallica and Lady Gaga. <laughs> so <laughs> it, I, I'm curious what your, uh, uh, you know, what your thought process was when you heard like, oh, Lady Gaga's performing with Metallica. Uh, it had to be a, a strange sort of uh, meeting of the worlds for you. Well, not really, because I always know that she's a rocket girl. You know, she mm. was always, you know, she always, she knows what she's doing. It felt like the most natural thing in the world. To me, I didn't yeah, think she talks was... about Iron Maiden and, and things like that, right? Even before, yeah, yeah. No, and already back in the days, I mean, I remember I brought her to a Rammstein concert in Paris. Oh wow! Uh, you know, and I think she she loved that stuff. You know, she and you know, obviously Rammstein is one of my, you know, bands that I worked with for fifteen years. I worked with Rammstein, of course. Uh, you know, so yeah, we talked metal, so it didn't feel like uh, such a big deal. And you know, a lot of her music is, if you think about it, like a lot of her songs is, if you change a few instruments into the guitars, it could have been a metal song. Oh yeah, it's got that, <laughs> it's got that grand sort of epic scale, which is, uh, you know, black metal songs even. <laughs> yeah, know? true, true. Yeah, true. I actually saw her. I, I uh, Metallica did a, a charity show uh, here in Los Angeles at the Fonda Theater, which is like a you know twelve hundred cap room or something, tiny for mm -hmm. them. And, um, yeah, I, I saw Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper watching from the soundboard together. And this was wow. maybe, a, you know, a year before the Grammys. So, uh, right. yeah, yeah I, I was the same as you that when that got announced, I was kind of like, okay, that actually makes sense. I, you know, yeah. I've seen her yeah. at a Metallica gig. So yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know she's legitimately uh, into this and, and gets it. And that's yeah. very cool. I would imagine you have a lot of... Uh, those kind of, uh, you know, I feel like those of us who grew up in metal, it's like we're ambassadors for our little community. And I, I would imagine in all the, the circles you travel in that you occasionally run into, you know, secret metalheads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Surprising like metalheads, I guess. I feel, I feel like it's coming back to the last few years a lot more than it used to be. You know, uh, I mean, I, I never let go of metal ever in my life, but I feel like a lot of people are now coming back and like a lot of people are, I don't know, or maybe it's just me talking more about it than I usually do, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's so, a lot of metal. So uh, lastly, um, you know, I know you're still uh, waiting for a firm release date. I, I, from what I've read, uh, first quarter of next year is what's being talked about, right? Yeah, for Who sure, knows? for sure. Um, yeah. In the meantime, uh, what else is keeping you busy? What's next? Well, I actually done another movie since uh, since Lords of Chaos uh, that I've been working on the last year that I just finished, and it's a movie called Polar, uh, uh -huh. and it's it's also coming out in the beginning of the year uh, is at, on Netflix. It's, That's uh, got one of the Scars guards in it, maybe. Is that no, uh, no? It's got Mads Mikkelsen. That's who I'm thinking of. Sorry, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, Vanessa Hudgens, uh, Johnny Knoxville, Richard Dreyfuss, um, and Matt Lucas. Nice. So, yeah, so it's a cool, it's a it's a really cool, it's very different from uh, Lords of Chaos and very different from anything I've done before. 
it's a it's a graphic novel called Polar, which is really cool uh, about this retired hitman and uh, his uh, struggle to uh, adapt into normality after a life of killing people. Um, so yeah, so it's really cool. It's coming out on Netflix and it's called Polar. That sounds killer. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's been my my big thing. And uh, other than that, I've, I'm now going back to do a few videos and commercials. I just took uh, the pictures uh, for the album cover of Deadlands uh, uh, Rituals. Uh -huh. I don't know if you heard. Uh, that's Matt Sorum and uh, Geezer Butler's new band. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just saw something about that recently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I just took some pictures. A great band, by the way. Awesome band. So, yeah, so I'm, tr I'm trying to get back into some of these shorter terms things before I'm going to start my next movie. Yeah, committing to years and years of a movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is uh, on my TV screen a lot because my kids and I watch, uh, we've watched Doctor Strange and and Star Wars Rogue One <laughs> yeah, <laughs> endless, yeah, yeah. endless times. So probably won't watch this movie with them, but I'll watch it myself. <laughs> yeah, maybe not this, but I don't know how old they are. They're, but, they're uh, elementary yeah. school. <laughs> yeah, no, you better wait then. No, but Mads is amazing. I mean, he's been in a Star Wars movie. He's been in a Marvel movie. He's been, I mean, he's, he's amazing, all the stuff he's done. Yeah, 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 really. Um has one of those uh, very memorable kind of character actor faces that pulls you into whatever he's doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned Jack Kilmer being a big Metallica fan. Uh, it sounds like he would be a good guest. And, uh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Maybe... I, mean, I, I would say for me, he was like the probably the only actor that I had in, in the movie that knew about black metal and knew about the metal world. Okay, kill he is. Yeah. Uh, he's awesome. He's great. He's such a sweet guy too. You know, he's young, but he knows he knows stuff. You know, yeah. he's great. Maybe it'd be great to have him on and uh, you know post that episode sometime closer to the uh, the actual release of the movie. All right, cool, um, so, cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll work on that too. Uh, well, great. It, it's been a, a real pleasure having you on here. And, and like I said, you were a, a wish list guest, and I've had uh, Rob from Machine Head and Gary Holt from Exodus, and a lot of people who've been connected to Metallica in, in some form. So I, I, you, nice. you were one of the first names I wrote down when I came up with this podcast. So oh, nice. <laughs> nice. glad I got you. Okay, well, great. But thank you so much. Yeah, likewise. I really appreciate it. Lords of Chaos hits theaters on Friday, February 8th, and on-demand services on February 22nd. Polar is on Netflix now. You can keep up with the Lords of Chaos movie across social media, and check out more of Jonas Ockerlund's work online. You can follow Speaking Destroy on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as our YouTube channel. All of those places, we're constantly posting bits of Metallica history and collecting all sorts of rare clips into different playlists. You can also go to speakingdestroy.com. And make sure to check out past episodes with guests like M. Shadows, David Ellison, Rob Flynn, Blasco, Andreas Kisser, Go, Lizzie Hale, Jamie Josta, and many more. Speaking Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Check out our sister show, No Prize from God, which features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Guests have included folks from Killswitch Engage, Emperor, Integrity, Alter Bridge, Demon Hunter, Under Oath, and more. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey.